you are listening to Marvel's Pull List for New Comics on Sale, March 24th, 2021. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Tucker Marcus. Yeah, uh, no, you are California, Tucker. Whoa. Big time. <laughs> My body is going into shock because I emerged from my cave after a year and now I don't know what to do with all the sunlight. I'm like a vampire. My skin is like boiling and bubbling and I'm like, I like it dark. <laughs> <laughs> In the, the short time that since our last recording, I got my first shot of the vaccine. Hell so I'm, yeah. I'm living that half vax life <laughs> and then uh, get my, my second shot. And then it's just going to be, be amazing. Uh, on rolls. top of that, I got a PlayStation 5. Uh, finally. <laughs> you broke through. Man, yeah. It's, it's been a good week for both of us. You're California. I'm, I've got all the wins. That rules. That's awesome. Uh, for anybody who is just joining us or for everybody else, we are going to talk about all the brand new Marvel comics on sale this week. We got some big ones. We're going to give you our picks up top. Then we're going to give you some uh, pulleys. What are we doing for, what are we calling the pulleys this week? Have we, have we made a decision? As we record, it's too early for us to get listener feedback from the tweets. But what was the one that we had, the the Pulister Prize? Yes. All right. So we'll be giving out our Pulister Prizes for our books. We still want more of your suggestions, dear listeners, for what we should call the awards that we give out every week. We can happily change them up as we go along. That is a lot of fun. Uh, so we'll talk about that. We'll tell you what's hitting Marvel Unlimited. And we have a great reading club this week. Our guest is... Grammy Award winner Bobby Sessions, who has a story that we'll be talking about this week in Black Panther. We also uh, will be talking with him about Black Panther, A Nation Under Our Feet, which is the first four issues of Black Panther by ta Coates and Brian Stelfreeze, which is a great conversation. And man, it was so, so much fun to go back and reread those issues. So stay tuned for that. But uh, let's dive into our picks of the week. I'll take the first one because it's a big one. Alien number one. This is it, y'all. Yeah. It's finally here. It, it, it feels like we announced this 10 years ago that we would be making Alien comics, and we, we got it. So this issue is written by Philip Kennedy Johnson, former guest here on Marvel's Pull List. Great writer. Art by Salvador LaRocca, incredible artist. Colors by Guru EFX. Letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. The editor on the book, I wanted to point out, is Jake Thomas, and I think Jake is a great fit. Just his sensibilities, that like yeah. darker side of comic book storytelling, he does so well. So just dynamite team. And this is a spooky, dark story, which is perfect for Philip Kennedy Johnson. We are following a character who is sort of military side of Wayland yutani The Wayland yutani is the big corporation that is at the heart of the alien cinematic universe. You know, Ripley is on Wayland yutani business and, and we see them come back again and again and how that weaves through. Um, but this one is really cool because they tell you right off in the credits pages, which is like the third or fourth page in the book of the timeline of things. So you know when the first Alien movie hit, when Aliens 2 happens and then how this fits into time-wise after that. That for me was like so cool. If you know your Alien stuff, there's Nightmare monsters, xenomorphs, the face huggers, they're all in here. But there's a really cool family story at the heart of this. I say cool, but it is brutal in a number of ways. There's 
intense, intense action in here. It ramps up. This one is not for the squeamish, but if you are at all a fan of Alien, I think this does really great service to the legacy and really got me supercharged for what we're getting into with doing Alien comics. My pick this week is Carnage, Black, White, and Blood, number one. These Black, White, and Blood books have been so incredible. It's just such a cool concept. And I think by its very nature allows artists to shine in it just such a exciting way. These books have been just chock full of all stars and this is no exception whatsoever. This issue is comprised of three individual stories. The first one is called Love Story. That's written by Teeny Howard with art by Ken Lashley and colors by Juan Fernandez. The second one's called End of the Trail. That's written by Benjamin Percy with Sara Pichelli. Are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. And colors by Matteo Iacono. And then the third one is called You Are Carnage, which is written by Al Ewing with pencils by John McRae. What is going on here? It's too much. Colors on that one also by Matteo Iacono. And letters throughout are by VCs Joe Sabino. I want to focus on Ben Percy's story that he does with Sara because it's so cool. I mean, as if it wasn't enough, like something that, you know, is like invented just for me to be obsessed with. We have a Western stuck in the middle of it, my favorite genre. And we have the person most perfectly built to tell that kind of story, Benjamin Percy doing it. And it's starring this like rugged sheriff character. It's just so cool. Uh, So look, any one of these individual stories alone would probably have been my pick of the week, let alone three of them combined, let alone the creative teams in here. I also want to shout out Ken Lashley, who's an artist that I wouldn't really associate necessarily with Carnage, but I think is just incredible here. John McRae obviously is like the master of creepy weirdness, like make your skin crawl type stuff. And Sara, who is this legend in the realm of superheroes coming into like this snowy two-hander story between one guy essentially, and Carnage and putting that together. It's so much fun. It's an amazing showcase of these writers' talents. It's an amazing showcase of these artists. I'm just becoming more and more and more obsessed with these Black, White, and Blood stories. Uh, All right, one more pick of the week, and it goes to Savage Avengers number 19. It's another King of Black tie-in. It's written by Jerry Duggan, pencils by Kev Walker, inks by Scott Hanna, colors by Java Tartaglia, and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. Kev Walker is just dynamite to me. He's just the best, the way he does action, his figures, the line work. And Jerry's a, he's a sexual Tyrannosaurus. I'll tell you that much when it comes to making (laughs) comics. And he's here doing the story about Conan and this character Nightflyer and Deadpool. They rob mutants during the middle of King and Black, the big crazy storyline. They rob the Hellfire Club, go to take a whole bunch of money And then a bunch of X-Men come to stop them because, you know, you don't rob from the mutants. You get dealt with and it just gets wild. They end up teaming up. We get to see Kev's versions of the nullified Cyclops and nullified Storm. You get one of my favorite sequences in here is Conan basically giving a pep talk to Iceman and reminding Iceman that he's Omega. Like he's so much more powerful then he lets off. And it's this great sequence. But ultimately, it's the end of this book and how it shakes out. The last like five pages, I cracked up. It was great as a sequence with Wolverine and Conan and 
Deadpool wearing one of Emma Frost's outfits. And it's it's just everything I love. It's weird. It's dark. It's intense. It's beautiful. Just a great friggin' comic. If you're not reading Savage Avengers, there are, what, like 15, 16 issues on Marvel yeah. Unlimited right now to dig into. Go get them. Yeah, definitely co-sign that one. Now we're moving on to our Pulister prizes this week and we're kicking it off with amazing spider-man number 62 my pull surprise goes to page one panel one which is a pat gleason wilson fisk which is so 80s 90s type of kingpin the way that we see the like shadows in his eyes the kind of thumminess he just looks like this big thumb i just think it's so perfect we're diving back into everything going on with Boomerang. And this one, we get some great monster action, which is so awesome. So I, I don't know. It's just another, speaking of artist showcases, it's one of those things that I think Pat Gleason just totally shines with. Really, really interesting issue. Like I said, more Boomerang action. So jump back to where we started this entire series, which is great. Yes. All right, let's go to Black Panther number 24. My Pulister prize goes to PMP. That is Prodigy. Prodigy gets a really cool role in this issue. One of the, the X-Men who's been showing up in the always incredible X-Factor, but seeing him in here is great. The M goes for montage because Prodigy does a thing that gets us into this incredible action sequence montage with Daniel Acuna. I, I probably should have picked this one. And then P again for portals because this has some portal action that at the end I was just like, high kicking and being like, yes, give me that last issue. It's going to be a humdinger. And on top of all that, this issue has a story by our guest this week, Grammy Award winner, Bobby Sessions. He uh, helped put the story together, has a script by Danny Lohr, art by Aletha E. Martinez, colored by Rochelle Rosenberg, and letters by VCs Joe Sabino. But it's so cool to see Bobby dig into a Marvel story and get to tell some some cool stuff. And actually, like the vibe of this story and how it relates to our conversation with Bobby that you'll hear a little bit later is really dang cool. Yeah, totally agreed. Next up, we have cable number nine. My pullister goes to very specifically Phil Noto's colors in this issue, which I think are gorgeous. Obviously, he is a modern Marvel master. He is one of the best there is, but there's a tropical look to some of these pages that I really love. You can just feel the brightness of the sun. We have this underwater sequence and then we come out. It's it's just really cool and it just felt really refreshing in an interesting way. I loved the quote that we opened this issue with, which is Cable, everybody was scared of the old man. Nobody's scared of the kid. And that's attributed to an anonymous patron at the Green Lagoon. That's what we're starting to dig into here with Cable as we, you know, have this reckoning between old Cable and young Cable. It's on the way and it starts here. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's keep in the mutant side of things with Excalibur number 19. My Pulister Prize for this one goes to Teeny Howard Songstress because Teeny gets to, in one of the text pages in this she gets to write The Ballad of the Violet Stranger, which is a song about Psylocke. I won't give away how and why, but it reminds me when Teeny was doing the uh, Belit story, the Conan tie-in story, Belit, she got to write some songs that the shipmates would sing in that book. I remember that very distinctly and how much fun she had with that. And obviously you could tell it's Teeny Howard. She's doing awesome work. This book is about Psylocke as well as Betsy Braddock and how they are together and dealing with some stuff and going through some stuff. 
it all ties into what happened in Ten of Swords, but it really pushes us forward and reintroduces a very disturbing ex-villain, which is cool. Yeah. Uh, next up, we have Guardians of the Galaxy number 12. Oh, man. This should have been one of I our know. picks, too. What are I they know. doing? I know. This is one it's so good because it feels like a greatest hits album of Al Ewing's Guardians of the Galaxy. There's just so many great points that are hit in here, whether it's Hercules, whether it's Juan Cabal's art in general, we get some incredible splash pages in here. There's a couple moments though in particular that I really loved with Hercules that I just think are awesome. And it also gets into some really, really cool, strange meta stuff, which is just awesome. I think that's something that uh, Al is really good at. There's a just so much to love. So my pullister for this one just feels like, you know, a Beatles one album of Al Ewing and Juan Cabal's Guardians of the Galaxy. Just all killer, no filler. Yeah. We got more King of Black this week with King of Black Scream number one. This one gets my Pulitzer Prize for Toss of the Week, in which Null sort of steps forward. He goes face-to-face with Scream and Demogoblin. Null just, like, grabs the Demogoblin and tosses her over his shoulder. It's a funny little sequence that I really cracked up at amidst just terrifying nightmare stuff. And it's it's cool to see Scream, who is not a symbiote that he can fully control because of some other things going on and how Scream has to fight back and actually stands up to Big Daddy Null. It's cool. Our next book is Maestro War and Pax number three. My poster for this one, I'm tempted to go for like back to tank-esque thing of the week. But I will say shout out in general to the art of Javier Pina with Wilden Santos. I think they're just bringing on this ish. The way that they put together this issue visually, I think it really draws you in. It's a thing that I think aids the story in such a great way. And I think particularly with a, a Peter David story, which can have some unusual angles. So a lot to love in there and a lot to appreciate visually as well as story-wise. Yeah. All right. We've got Miles Morales, Spider-Man number 24. My Pollister prize goes to Breather of the Week because this one gives a little bit of a like a relaxing moment for Miles, kind of, which is one of my favorite Spider-Man stories. Like when he's not like under everything and it's just getting to live his life. And, you know, Miles is a very different character than Peter, but that Spider-Man feel of like, what goes on in his day, how he's living his life is really important to see. And it's really cool because this one is him getting to hang out with one of his friends, Kamala Khan, Ms. Marvel. The two of them just want to hang out and like talk and not have to superhero too much and not have to do anything. Of course, there's action and adventure and saving people and, and dealing with some bad people, but they get to eat ice cream and they get to hang out and play basketball. And it, it's just, there's a sweetness and a resetting to this issue, which is really good because especially (laughs) next issue, we're getting into the clone saga and oh, poor Miles. Poor, poor Miles. (laughs) My last issue that I'm covering this week is Star Wars Dr. Aphra number eight. Not even opening the book and I'm throwing out that poster. This cover by Sway is incredible. It's fun. It's funny. It captures the spirit of Dr. Aphra for sure in a great, hilarious way. But once you do open that cover and start reading the story, we have some really awesome continued tales of Aphra and Son of Staros, which 
I love. I think they're really a match made in heaven. I think they pair beautifully because there's something a little more grounded about Sana who tethers Afra a little bit, but they have, I don't know, there's something almost, the way they swirl around each other, the way they oppose each other, the way they complement each other, I just think is great. On top of that, I'll say there's some awesome, awesome planet design work in this issue. Really cool, great classic Star Wars stuff that way. Uh, All right. Our final new issue to talk about this week is Taskmaster number five. This is the end of this limited series. This one, we've been following Taskmaster as he's alongside Nick Fury. They're trying to figure out who killed Maria Hill. And then there's tons of revelations and stuff. And my Pulitzer Prize for this one goes to best one-on-one fight of the week. And it is Taskmaster versus Black Widow. And uh, it's so good. It reminds you that Black Widow is like on another level. Taskmaster's great, and he's he's got his photo reflexive abilities and all this other stuff. But Black Widow is on another level, and you just shouldn't shouldn't mess with her. It's a bad idea. That's what we have for individual issues on sale this week. Now looking over at the collections selection this week, we have. Conan the Barbarian by Jim Zub. That's volume one collection of what's been a really fun Conan series that's ongoing right now. And on top of that, got to say a bunch of Captain America stuff out there as we celebrate the 80th anniversary of the Star Spangled Avenger. Yeah. Over on Marvel Unlimited, it's a real good week. We've got Black Cat number one, the current series that starts tying in with King and Black. It is fantastic. Got a great issue of Fantastic Four. Two Immortal Hulk books, one of them being the King in Black Immortal Hulk book, which is dynamite. It's the silent issue that Aaron Cooter drew. I love that issue. It's really, really phenomenal. Taskmaster's in, uh, out this week on Marvel Unlimited. And Wolverine Black, White, and Blood, number two. Lots of great stuff. You can get the full list on marvel.com to check it all out. And definitely get in there, get your subscription going. Uh, and you should also have your subscription going so you can read... The first four issues of Black Panther by Tanahasi Coates and Brian Stelfreeze, because that's what we're talking about with our guests this week. So uh, dig into that, reread some Black Panther, and then come listen to us chat with Bobby Sessions. All right, joining us on the show this week is Bobby Sessions. I'm excited because, you know, Marvel and Def Jam having this partnership. It's awesome that we're able to, like, I don't know that we would have had this conversation otherwise, but the first thing I want to ask is, were you a Marvel Comics fan? Are you a Marvel Comics fan? Did you grow up a comics fan? Like, what's your fandom like? I would say relatively beginner level. I grew up into comics, but I think I had transitioned more to the movies as I got older. So I think over the past few months or so, I've been getting reintroduced back into the actual comic world. And it's been a lot of fun and I'm excited to continue to dive deeper now because reading these things as an adult has a different feel and the lessons that I'm getting are a lot more deeper than the surface level things that felt like uh, as a child. Bobby, you're going to be contributing a story coming up in Black Panther number 24. I was curious as we get into the book, as we talk about the character of T'Challa, as we talk about Wakanda, all that stuff, when you're writing something... What's your muse? Like, how do you tap into the character? How do you tap into this world? What immediately comes to mind as like those voices in your head? Well, I had re-researched T'Challa and different attributes and things that he had at his disposal. And I was trying to figure out, and particularly with the story that I was writing, with it being around the pillar of mental health, 
How can I use just the healing properties and things that's natural for him? How could I use that to heal people of like a mental illness or a sickness that's caused by negative thoughts or negative thinking or negative emotions? And then I tried to some way fuse elements of what was there already with the agenda of helping people that are going through a tough time mentally or emotionally and just use my imagination from there. It's amazing. Being part of Black Panther, this run, this incredible story that Tanahasi and everybody have been putting together. So that's what we're going to talk about today. The first four issues of Black Panther by Tanahasi Coates and Brian Stelfreeze and the crew. Before we get to that though, I want to talk about another king because you have a song on the soundtrack to Coming to America, which anyone of a certain age, I'm 40 right now, I have watched the original Coming to America maybe a hundred times in my lifetime. Like that movie is so seminal as a part of like growing up and loving film and loving comedy. What's that like for you to have a song with the sequel to one of the greatest movies of all time? Man, it's surreal. I mean, obviously it's an iconic movie that's cemented itself as a classic within the culture. Um, it's one of the most successful comedies of all time. So being a part of the sequel is obviously a tremendous honor. And it was probably one of the coolest manifestations I've had in my career thus far, especially with it being not just part of the soundtrack, not just being incorporated in the film, but being a lead single and having Megan Thee Stallion, who's piping hot right now as far as uh, where she's at in, at this point in her career. So it's a crazy honor. I'm excited for everybody to see the film on March 5th on Amazon Prime. And I think it's going to be a special sequel when you have something that's been watched so many times and people dress up like the characters from the film on Halloween and things like that. That's hard to top, but I think they've done a good job. I'm excited for everybody to see it on March 5th. And let's just make sure we let people know the name of the song that you have in the film is also a beautiful connection to everything we're talking about now. The song's called I'm a King. Yeah. That's crazy. The universe just aligns everything naturally. I think we'll get deep into the music discussion during this conversation. But I was curious, Bobby, like coming up, you said that you've been diving back into comics lately, pop culturally, aside from music. What were you a fan of growing up? What like nerdy stuff did you freak out about growing up? And then I'm curious how whatever fandom that might be how you were able to relate that in your experience, you know, at Marvel so far? I would say the craziest thing that I ever nerded out on growing up was probably Dragon Ball Z. I knew it. I'm a huge <laughs> Dragon Ball fan. Tucker knows this. He's like, I talk an alien language when, when I get into Dragon Ball mode, but I love that. Yeah, like that was something that I was just absolutely obsessed with. I would watch it and then I would pause the screen and then I would get paper and I would like draw the characters from when they would regular to when they became super saiyan and like i would go to school and you know show people what i drew and think i would literally just pause the tv screen and just start drawing and i think that wasn't the first superhero stuff that i geeked out on but it was the first thing where i started really internalizing somebody leveling up or tapping into this other source of energy or power and I tried to use it on like the basketball court as opposed to areas where I could have used it. Like I'm going to level up and get an A on my test now uh, <laughs> uh, or something of that nature. So I would say that's the first thing that I really like lost my mind over. Yeah. Tucker, someday you'll sit down, you'll watch a couple good episodes, Dragon Ball, and you'll be like, all right, there's some charm to this. I'll get it. Yeah. You'll, you'll get it. You'll get it. Bobby, let's talk about a little bit about 
Black Panther, because this is the book that you chose. Why specifically, out of all the Black Panther stories that we have, you know, we have the original stories, we have some great stuff by Christopher Priest, we have some wonderful stories that came out in, you know, over the last 10, 15 years. And of course, this is the most recent run. Why did you choose these four issues of Black Panther? I feel like if my contributions are going to be on the last issues of his run, I feel it would be best to discuss the beginning of his run. And I guess it had more of a personal significance in regards to the things that I'm talking about on my debut album about manifesting or people finding that extra gear, that extra power, or being able to heal themselves from things that they're suffering with and dealing with. I felt like it just made the most sense. And also with the recent passing of Chadwick, it was a lot of different factors, I guess, that went into the decision, but that's what my heart led me to. And then when I feel that I don't really second guess or overthink at that point. You seem to be fascinated by the metaphysical side of things, the spiritual side of things. You know, you talk about manifesting ideas, bringing them into reality. You talk about what feel like cosmic coincidences that come into real life. I'm just interested to hear you talk more about that directly and talk about it in terms of storytelling at large. And whether that's a story you're telling in a song, whether that's a story you're telling literally narratively in a book, or whether that's when you're reading, like we're talking about today. I'm just curious to hear your thoughts on that, why that's important to you, why that feels like such a, a seminal thing and is something that we're, we're talking about here. That's an awesome question. The beginning of my interest in, I guess, metaphysics started in 2011, and that was my first experience dealing with anxiety and depression. I was someone carelessly going through this world, not knowing that I could ever be affected by that, almost like I was immune to that and that never applied to me. So I had reached a point where I had no control over my thoughts. I had no control over the emotions attached to those thoughts. And it drove me crazy. And it led me to, I remember going to Google and I typed in, how does the mind work? <laughs> and that was the beginning of my journey of controlling thoughts, being intentional with thoughts, being understanding the skill of not attaching yourself to every passing thought that you have in your head. I don't have to identify with every thought that comes in my head and I can start to be more selective and intentional about what I think and how I feel. And then that having an impact on how I behave or my ability to manifest things. So I guess not to get to a head, but I don't know if it was in the third issue, but whichever one where T'Challa, it's harder for him to focus because he's dealing with like the guilt of what happened to Shuri. And that's like kind of stopping or impeding progress. That was happening to me on a, in my own way where I had moments or past things in my life that I kept thinking about that stopped me from focusing on things I wanted to manifest in the future. And then I, when I started talking to people about it, it started to sound very... Uh, like hocus pocusy, like you, what you think you can become, uh, thoughts become things. It started to sound very, I don't know, like holistic is the word. It, it felt like it wasn't as practical on like a physics level. So I started researching more of like the metaphysical thing and how like, for example, if I tell someone, I say, imagine you stuck your hand in like a backpack and I want you to imagine that 20 tarantulas are crawling up your arm. People will start freaking out or having an anxiety attack 
even though there's not in the present, there's not tarantulas crawling up your arm. You can already feel the angst and the, the, the weirdness of that now, even though you didn't experience it in the mm-hmm. physical at this time. So I was like, hmm, if you can do that, or if you ask somebody about a, a traumatic event they had in their childhood and you bring it up, it triggers something where they can feel that experience right now, even though it was it could be 30 years in the past. So if you can do that with a negative experience, then there has to be some science to feeling a positive experience 20, 30 years in the future and being able to feel that energy right now. And I think learning the science of that allowed me to close the gap between where I'm at and where I want to be and kind of wield it to the present because the present and the future is like the same thing, Hmm. I guess, in my view. So that's become like an obsession with mine. And I've took that and poured it into the music. I poured it into the story for issue 24. And and I hope that um, at least sparks something in readers or people that listen to my music and get them on their own path to figuring out how they can tap into their superpower too. I love that you put it that way. Cause that's what I was thinking the whole time you're talking about it. It genuinely does feel like a real life kind of superpower. I think you're really tapping on something super profound and, and something that I think, you know, music or stories at their best can really dig into and further realize in reality. It's really cool. Man, I appreciate that. And that's definitely the intention. Like, I guess with me diving back into the comic world, I started like, it started hitting me of like how similar it is to music and hip hop in particular, in a sense of like covering the medicine and candy. So it's like I'm using this great illustrations and incredible dialogue and storyline. It's an entertaining way to communicate very profound things that hopefully people can, after they take in the initial art and the story and things like that, that they are able to grab some deeper lessons in the midst of them getting caught up in the different characters and the arcs and things of that nature. So I hope that what we contributed was help the process of what is already feels like a, a legendary read. I love all the stuff that we've been talking about. I also want to mention, you know, you've talked about mental health and, and awareness about that, which I think is such an important thing. You know, I've, I dip in and out of hip hop. I grew up listening to a lot of like East Coast hip hop, EPMD and stuff like that, and then bounced out and West Coast and different things. And then I was out of college. I was, you know, mid 2000s. I heard a rapper named Sage Francis. And Sage was talking a lot more about emotion and some mental health stuff and some interesting things that I hadn't gotten in my experiences with hip hop before. And I love that you're front and center about all that stuff. I like, I think that's such an important piece of art and of our experiences and the willingness to bring that forward into your music and into your, your, your story for the comic, because that's another thing about comics. We don't always get those stories, that discussion about mental health and candid and helpful ways. So it's really cool to hear you talk about that stuff and make sure that that's in front of your fans and your listeners and your readers. I appreciate that. I think as creatives and as writers, ultimately, we want to talk about something with substance, but at the end of the day, it has to be an entertaining read or an entertaining listen. And that's very hard to do. Life is hard already. So I don't want to have the thing that I enjoy also bring me down or trigger something as well. So there's an interesting tightrope you have to walk to try to find a way 
to make those things entertaining and filled with substance, which I think is why it's difficult to do and why a lot of people shun away from it. But if you're able to crack the code on it, I think that balance is what allows people to want to experience them over and over. Bobby, you hit on a, a little nugget there that I am really interested to dive in further on and to tie it to what we're reading, Donation Under Our Feet. And I'll just say issue number one, Black Panther number 2016. That's where we're starting. It's written by ta Coates with art by the great, great, great Brian Stelfreeze. Colors by Laura Martin and letters by VCs Joe Sabino. You talk about control. And that's something that just immediately comes to mind when we're having this mental health conversation, we're talking about manifesting, we're talking about all these things that you're so clearly fascinated by. It's an aspect of this story in a big way where right off the bat, King T'Challa is confronted with huge upheaval and we see him struggling to control all the bad stuff that's going on in his kingdom, in Wakanda. We see that immediate upheaval and him kind of rushing to catch up to it which is what's so great about this story. It's one of the many things that's so great about this story because it's certainly a superhero story, but it also dives into the humanity of this character in a way where, you know, his responsibilities as a king are as challenging as anything else because at times there's not much he can do. You know, he wants to be a superhero. He wants to fight and go out and do the things that he's so capable of. But when you have a nation you're responsible for, it's not as simple as that all the time. So talking about control, I'm just fascinated by this idea of like, maybe not having control of your circumstances, not having control of what's going on around you, but having control of what's happening in your mind and being able to really focus and push that forward and do the best you can with that. I'm curious if when you're reading these four issues, obviously, or the the series at large or ta run on the character in general, if those things came to mind for you, if you were immediately making those connections. So sure, it was on two connections in particular, one on like just a personal human level and one on a rapper level. So on a human level, I felt bad for him. It's like your sister is like, I guess, stuck between life and death, like just frozen and you're trying to bring her back, but you can't. And then you have something that's completely out of your control. But when you've been dominant so long, to now have a whole lot of people that you can't control that clearly have, I guess for lack of a better word, no respect for you or your rule. And they have their own agenda that just feels, that has to feel incredibly bad. And it made me think of, as a rapper, there is always an interesting dynamic between a rapper and a rapper's hometown. It's like this interesting uh, relationship. Mm-hmm. So, so when you're there, and you're present, you're beloved. You're the, the knight in shining armor, so to speak. And then as you leave, and then you go to address business outside of that place, and then you come back and the place looks completely different than the place that you left, then the people there feel like you abandoned them, you left them out for dead, you wasn't there to protect us, you wasn't there to shield us, and you're supposed to be this great king, well, you're not a king to us. It made me immediately think of rappers, like a rapper comes up in the hometown, they love, they go out to, if there's someone like me in a Dallas or somewhere that's not New York or LA or Atlanta, and then they come back, it's like, well, you didn't help put us in position to make this happen. You didn't protect us from other people in the industry coming down here and taking advantage of us. She wasn't a shield for us. And uh, I just immediately felt bad for him because <laughs> that on a less serious level happens a lot of time with artists when they 
leave their hometown and then people, when they return, it's like, well, you wasn't there for me yesterday and something bad happened to me yesterday. So it's your fault. And all of this the wisdom and orders that you have to give, I don't want to listen to it. And matter of fact, I want to take your spot because we feel we can run it better because you didn't do anything for us. You left us for dead. Mm-hmm. I never even thought about it in that perspective. I grew up a lot in like the local punk rock scene. And now that you mention it in that way, I can see the parallels and how like bands would blow up and they would do stuff. And you'd be like, man, you all sold out that phrasing in a different way. I want to talk about this a little bit about, because this is the first time I've reread the story since it first came out. So we have these things called editorial summits where They bring in a whole bunch of amazing writers and they bring in all the editors and a bunch of other great creative minds and some artists. And they just, they sit around tables. Well, when we could sit around tables together for three days and they would just figure out the next couple of years of Marvel comics, just to sit back and watch it as a creative thinker, you know, me never really participating, just like watching it all is one of the greatest things in the world to just see how ideas come together. And I remember being in the room when Tanahasi would talk about his Black Panther stories. In some ways, he's got that T'Challa mind of like the strategic thinking and just hearing all of it come through and hearing his plans. And now having read through the entirety of his run that has come out as we do, we read every comic. It's really interesting to look at these four issues and how like densely populated it is with story and character idea. It is one of the most incredible like opening salvos to a comic book run that I've ever read. It's really, really, really wonderful. He's definitely on another tier. And I think because of that, it made me very nervous about <laughs> my contribution because I'm like, what do I add to this? Because his writing is so detailed. He's like Oprah's favorite author. <laughs> so I'm like, that is like... <laughs> This was just a whole nother level. And I'm like, man, I don't I don't know. And first, I didn't know that what I was writing was a part of what he was doing. First, I thought I had to write something following what he did. Like when I first got, I'm like, yo, <laughs> how, how, how do you follow this guy? It's like going on after Beyonce. And it's your first set ever. Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. Like, <laughs> it's like, man, put the mic down. So I was just like, all right, well, if I'm a bomb, you would definitely... Let's bomb after Beyonce. And that was kind of the thinking. And then I found out, no, yours is just a few pages. It's going to be a part of his. I'm like, ah, okay, great. So now if mine is bad, at least everyone will still be entertained by what he wrote. But yeah, he killed it. He's really good at being able to highlight why people make the decisions that they want to make. He highlights like the humanity in them. They wasn't painted to be these evil people, like he kind of got into why they're doing what they're doing and why T'Challa is going through what he's going through and, and like why people are making these decisions, why there's unrest. And that's like almost impossible to do as a writer without over explaining and writing a whole bunch of words to try to provide context. Like that was something incredible. I'm finding I have like a million questions for you. And one of them is that something we talk about on the show sometimes when we see first time comic writers, someone who comes in from another medium and is writing a comic for the first time, economy of language is so crucial in comics, finding space for dialogue, for narration, 
but not overloading it, not overdoing it is a really crucial thing. And it's something that I think I could just pick up a comic and not know who wrote it and maybe be able to tell where they are in their comic book writing experience. But it's interesting to see a rapper come into comic book writing because your whole skill set is economy of language. Your whole entire MO is communicating an idea with the most powerful words as possible. Did you find a commonality between writing a comic book specifically and what you do on a daily basis? Great question. Yes, I guess the thing that was, I felt was most similar was just the idea of like, how can I make this entertaining? It's like, I have the free will to write what I want, but at the same time, it was under this pillar of mental health. So I'm like, how do I connect what T'Challa already does? How do I connect the healing properties and being able to, to heal something? How do I connect that with this? And the part that I guess I was most unsure about was I don't want to be disrespectful to the culture. I have enough awareness to know that I'm not as into this as I am hip hop, for example. So I know that there are certain unwritten rules. So I'm like being super sensitive to that. I'm like, okay, I need to make sure that everything is right because I don't want to offend people with the contribution. And the same thing is with rap when I'm making, like I have this manifest album that's coming out later, but before that I had this trilogy called Revolution. And that was about taking uncomfortable conversations from the barbershop and putting those on record. And it, and it reads like how in his series, ta series, he has, you know, issue one, and I guess going all the way to 25, mine had a chapter one, a chapter two, and a chapter three. And when you're talking about certain political issues, you really have to know as much as possible because the people that are in that world, if you're spreading misinformation, it gets very weird. So that was the thing that I took into this experience. Like, I really want to make sure that I'm not offending anybody in this space with my ignorance. So I just took the me being sensitive about the story, how the story progressed. I have to do that when talking about mental health issues because it's a sensitive subject or political stuff because it's a sensitive subject in the rap world. So I took that same kind of care to writing this and I hope that we were able to deliver without people being upset. And Cause it's very hard to tell as a writer, I could have took the three pages I wrote. I could have made that a hundred pages easily, like easily turn that into a hundred pages of something, the dialogue between T'Challa and the sick children that I have in the story or the parents of the sick children or the dialogue between T'Challa and the medical professionals in the story and like, but they're trying to make things very concise. It's one of the hardest things you can do in song and I found it to be fairly difficult as well in this, but it was worth the time and energy and I, and I believe I'm a better writer musically because of this experience and I hope I get the opportunity to write another one. I got to say, I feel like you having that awareness to begin with already puts you out of the game. Yeah. I, I think it also helps because they paired you up with Danny Lore. They're working with you on the story as well. I believe you got great editors. So coming in with the, the way you're describing it of like being respectful and wanting to be the best you can be here 
And then working with people who appreciate that is a great way to be. I want to point out for anybody who hasn't read the Black Panther story that we've been talking about yet, the book in Marvel Unlimited also includes the back matter, which includes an interview with Brian Stelfreeze and like some sketchbook pages and stuff. And Brian is, I don't know, he's like a a ringer that you call in when you need something special done because he doesn't do a lot of like volume of work. Whenever he does, it is an event. It is something special and you see it in his pages. And there's a line in the interview where it kind of explained how this was ta first dip into comic books. And Brian is like, I think they wanted me to get in to work with him because I could help teach him some stuff about storytelling for comics. He's like, but then he ended up teaching me. And I like, you know, you've got this duality of masters of their crafts who are learning from each other and are spinning something so wonderful and so incredible. I have to make sure we give all the love and praise to uh, Brian Stelfreeze and colorist Laura Martin, who is also one of the greats. But Brian's work here in depicting the Wakanda that is established here is so now important for Marvel Comics, the way we look at Wakanda, the the costumes, the way that the vibranium is uh, a costume that T'Challa wears is so like iconic now, the way, like when he gets hit, that like purple that comes around him, that really picture it from here, from this story and from what Brian does. And man, it's just such a beautiful, awesome bit of work from someone who I wish did many more Marvel comics. Yeah, salute. Incredible job. Yeah. Bobby, you mentioned earlier the hometown idea and Ryan was just talking about the Wakanda that's specifically discussed and established in this story. I'm just curious from whatever angle you want to talk about it, what it means to be from Dallas and explaining that maybe to someone who's not from Dallas or not from Texas and how that is different maybe from being from Houston or who knows where else, even from that micro level to the biggest scale, because in the Marvel universe, obviously Wakanda has a very specific meaning as a very specific connotation. If a character says I'm from Wakanda, the room kind of quiets down a little bit and it means a lot. What does it mean to be from Dallas? Being from Dallas, as opposed to being from a Houston or New York or Los Angeles or an Atlanta or even, you know, somewhere in Florida, like a Miami or something like that. The biggest difference is all of these places have a lot of success stories, different artists or a collection of artists or record executives or or something along those lines. Some people that have experienced some level of success within the music industry. In Dallas, it's like, I guess like how, how Wakanda is seen as a wealthy and powerful nation that has, you know, the vibranium and the powerful resource. Dallas is a place where it's like having vibranium or having some kind of wealth, but being unaware that it's there. It's like we have gold everywhere, but no one knows that we have gold. And the people that have seen it, they think it's something else. They're not aware of how rich the place is due to the lack of success stories. Typically, everybody that's had success in music in Dallas, it's like segregated between you have the street side or the club side 
And then you have kind of like the artsy fartsy side. At least that's the, you know, those are the terms that are used. So you have people where their route to success would be playing music in the club, the old era of selling CDs out the trunk of your car and getting the DJs that worked at the club that also play records on the radio back when radio was more of a priority. That was that world. And then you had the more artsy side where those artists would come up instead of clubs, they perform in concert venues and they get like local media coverage. The people on the art side, those artists typically never made any real money. They got press, but it was typically local press and they wasn't really able to build any real fan base. So the belief throughout the city was that if you were on this art side, you wasn't going to have any career that would sustain you to the point that you could leave your job, for example. Like that wasn't going to happen. So back in 2015, I had signed my first record deal with a company called High Standards. And I started throwing my own events. And I started like breaking the mold a bit for all of the art rappers. And then when I did the deal with Def Jam in 2018, to my knowledge, I was the first rapper from Dallas to sign with a major label that didn't make club records. Hmm. Like anybody that was considered a lyricist, we were like never supposed to have any kind of career. We were able to provide for ourselves or get any national media coverage or go on any, uh, do any performances that wasn't in the Dallas Fort Worth area. But with that comes a great deal of pressure and in some cases resentment from other people there because the belief, since the belief had become sewn into the fabric of the city for so long that no one would ever gain success on that side, it had like a crabs in a bucket kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So it was always like, oh, if one person make it, we're all going to rally behind that person and we're going to champion them. And you started seeing in 2018 that a few people from Dallas started getting signed to major record labels and hardly any other creatives from the town embraced them. So after you get us to a certain level of, of success, you have to detach from wanting love from your hometown, at least in Dallas, because if you were expecting that love, you were going to be very disappointed. And I think now being able to sustain it, now the city is starting to open itself up to the idea that they can be proud of one of their own. The, the love is not there because the people have to be trained to accept homegrown talent as something that's as worthy as out-of-town talent. The crabs in a bucket metaphor is a powerful one. And that's such a, a great explanation of it from a, a citywide perspective. And that's exactly what I was curious about. Now, to move over to a more personal perspective, and that's something, again, that we see T'Challa dealing with in, in a million different ways, even in these first four issues of essentially learning as he goes in, in a lot of different ways, certainly with regard to the specific challenges he's facing here. But I find myself drawn to your discussion of not having any precedent to teach you the way to do things. From your perspective and the way that you talk about all of these things in your very specific way, what's that like to, to take that journey? 
I think it has challenged me to really get good at perspective. So I had grew to accept the fact that if I'm the first to do something or if I am paving a road or if I'm setting the trail of footsteps for other people to follow, people can judge me, but I don't have to care about what their judgments are because I'm the first. First meaning I'm the first lyricist to come up through Dallas that's having success past Dallas. After I grew to have that perspective and to not be dependent on any external love or validation, it made and makes this journey for myself a lot more peaceful because now I see that there is a bunch of other creatives. They see what we're doing, myself and my team at High Standards, and they're getting a kick out of it. They're getting super inspired by it because they're like, okay, we've never seen this before. And this guy and his team are doing things that I guess is showing us that these things are possible as opposed to somebody coming and telling us, oh, anything is possible. They're now seeing real proof and evidence and they know, okay, this is tangible. This is something that can happen. This isn't necessarily an isolated incident. I I see a lot of people that struggle with that because they have this plan in their head. Like, okay, when I get from point A to point B, everybody from home is going to embrace me and they're going to call me king or they're going to call me the queen and they're going to really show me that love and give me that love and respect that someone at the top of their craft would get from their hometown. So when they reach that point and they don't receive it, they can't continue to ascend up because they are not even thinking about what they have to do next. They're so thrown off by a lack of love. So I think the hardest thing anybody can do is get themselves to accept that you have to pat yourself on the back. If you're waiting around for them to pat you on the back, you're going to be standing still for a very long time because they have to train their minds to accept other people being successful and and that that's okay. And that doesn't mean that the door is closed for them to enter and become successful as well. It's easier said than done. But luckily, because of those mental health things and stuff that I had years before I signed any deals, I had been practicing not needing external validation for quite a long time. And it ended up saving me once I got to a certain point because I wasn't thirsty to get love that I didn't think I would receive anyway. Hmm. Hmm. The way you were talking about that stuff kind of reminds me of some of the conversations that T'Challa and the Queen Mother Ramonda have in the book and the way she like guides him. And, and he's so brilliant, but sometimes he doesn't see the forest for the trees and she's so so wise in this book. Um, as we're wrapping up here and uh, thinking about your experiences with Marvel, with comics, you said that you you know you watch a lot of the movies, and that's a, you know a big chunk of your more recent experiences with uh, with Marvel, and then getting back into comics. If you were to say to somebody, "Hey, you like the movies? Check out this Black Panther book." What about it would you want them to? look into or would you even like give them anything or just want them to go in blind like what about the story you connected with that you'd want to see others connect with that's a great question i would say if you went through or currently going through some tough situations in your life where you feel like there's things that are negatively affecting you 
and some of it is out of your control and you're trying to figure out how to navigate it, I think that this series would be a great start because this even helped me a bit just from the conversation T'Challa had with Ramunda, where she's like telling them like, you need to use inspiration almost to rally your kingdom back. And I, I took something from that with a piggybacking off of what I was just talking about with, with the city. Like there's a lot of people that come out and they're like, oh, this is unfair. Y'all need to show us love. Y'all need to do this and that. As opposed to saying, no, just be a beacon of light for these people. Because if you just decide, oh, I'm going to be mad and you act out of that anger or that, or you start seeing that rage in yourself you set yourself up to make decisions that you're going to regret later that ultimately get you away from the goal. So I would say anybody that's struggling with something where they feel like they're suffering in any kind of way or having any negative experiences and the cause of those experiences are not all of their own doing, just things that they can't control, that there is light on the other side. And I think that this book is a great guide to that. Well, I think that's a, a perfect place to to wrap things up. Bobby, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with us. Thanks for letting us get to know you a little bit. I'm really excited to read your story of Black Panther 24 coming up, even more so now that I feel like I have a really solid picture of the person behind it. You've talked about a lot of powerful stuff, and I think it, it, an appropriate conversation when we go back to the beginning and think of the superpowers that maybe you're able to manifest or that any of us can. So uh, so thanks again for joining us, man. Thank you, Bobby. Absolutely, man. Y'all take care. Thanks again to Bobby. That was a really fascinating conversation. Again, I'm, you know, ever since we had that chat, I've been thinking more and more about the commonalities between being a musician, being a comic book writer. It's all really interesting stuff. And I think Bobby was a really cool dude to talk to about it. Yeah. And uh, thanks to us. He won a Grammy. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like, we you know, we had this chat and we manifested <laughs> that continued success of his. It had nothing to do with him writing great songs with amazing <laughs> artists. Uh, yeah, yeah. That about wraps it up for us on this episode of Marvel's Pull List, which was produced by Ryan Panagos, Tucker Marcus, Jorge Estrada, and with help from Megan Bagala. Jill DeBoff is our director of audio. And Brad Barton is Marvel's Pull List audio development manager, and he's been telling me he's trying to manifest becoming a xenomorph. Keep reaching for the stars, Brad. Keep reaching <laughs> yeah. for the stars. I'm Ryan. And I'm Tucker. This is Marvel. Your universe.